0: Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'd like to welcome all of our podcast listeners. Welcome to the service today. Um, this morning, um, I want to share around a very simple scripture. A very s- the title this morning is, The Word Became Flesh. The Word Became Flesh. Flesh. Everyone say flesh. Flesh. We're going to be unpacking this simple title, these simple four words together for the rest of our time this morning. Because in church over the last few months, we've been doing a series called Revival Culture. And the importance of being a church that is revival. We've covered things from miracles to signs and wonders to courage. To, um, Pastor Nat did an awesome job last week bring us to a point of rest and pause and trust in God. And we've had some, some awesome time over the last few months. And this morning, I simply want to bring us to the revival culture that is the Bible. The Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, wave it. If it's on your phone, open the app and just move it around a bit. The Bible, the living Word of God, the Word of God that's able to transform and change us. So it's been a great series talking about revival culture and everything that's been happening. Um, But the Bible is the greatest foundation for revival. It's better than a testimony. It is the truth the unchanging truth of God. It is something we can build our life upon. It is something that we can use in any battle. The Word of God is powerful. And I believe from the youngest, all the way in our babies, or Ellie, who's sitting in the front row this morning, all the way through to our oldest, who's Troy Spencer, um, I believe that the Word of God is powerful for you. So this morning I'm hoping to um, encourage and fan into flame the truth that the Word of God brings revival to your bones. It brings revival to your family. It brings revival to your workplace. It brings revival to your mind. And we're just going to reflect and meditate on the very, the very simple Scripture, John 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh. So today, we're going to dig deep, we're going to meditate together, and we're going to see the depth of the Word of God. Is that okay? Is it okay to go deep this morning? Well, we're going to. Let me pray for us, and then I'll let Alicia sit down, and we'll get into this thing together. God, we just thank you for the honor it is to have your word. I pray this morning there be a spirit of honor and of hunger and of desperation to encounter more of you. Lord, we haven't arrived. We don't know it all. We are still in need of you. So I pray this morning that we lean in, that our dependency and our attention be upon you, And may your word transform us. And I pray this morning, even though it's hot, that our church be hungrier for you than they ever have been before. I pray that we increase in our hunger, increase in our desire to know you. I pray we never become lethargic or lazy in our pursuit of you. But I pray we continue to seek you with every single breath you give us. So this morning, speak to us and help us and blow our minds. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Man, thank you, Alicia, you may be seated somewhere else. So this morning, um, we are talking about the word became flesh. We might need to move this fan just a little bit because it's blowing in the microphone, and we can all hear it, not just me, right? And now it's gone. Miracles. Everyone say miracles. <laughs> Okay, we're going to be looking at this scripture. The word became flesh. And in a moment, um, I'm going to make this this, this down here move. See? <gasps> what? Yeah. If you're listening online, nothing's happening right now. You're not missing out on anything. So small. So big again. Okay, so... Um, We're going to be just focusing on the power of these four words and I want to um, do two things this morning. I want us to zoom into this scripture and see the depth of what it is and then I want us to zoom out and see um, the wider picture and how this scripture um, fits not only into the gospel of John, it's found in John 1 verse 14, but how it fits into the gospels and how it fits into the word of God and therefore how it fits into God's ultimate plan for humanity. So... John 1 verse 14. It's an amazing scripture and it's the center point of the gospel of John. John 3.16 isn't. John 1 verse 14 is. This explains not only the gospel of John, but actually the entire story of God. These four words this morning, we're going to go deep in them and we're going to find some truth that I believe will change us. So today, we will use some basic methods of drawing out revelation and truth out of Scripture. The methods are helpful for this scripture, they're helpful for other scriptures. If you're looking for a book to help you to read the Bible, if you think that you can read the Bible without any help, um, you are probably both a first century Jew, um, you are 4,000 years old and understand the context there, Um, you need assistance to actually understand more than just John was a guy, but who was John? What was the context and what is the power of not only the context of the verse before and after, but what is the power of this man and who he was and how he experienced Jesus? So, um, a helpful book is a book called, uh, by Rick Warren, I think it's like called like 12 Methods to Read the Bible, or something like that, and it helps you like emphasize certain words, or look at it in a context, or look at Greek words, and it's a really helpful book, either for a new Christian, or someone that thinks they know everything about the Bible. Uh, this applies to you as well, if you use these methods, you'll, you'll find new revelation, and new truth, and who knows that we can never understand God completely, so we're on a pursuit to know Him more and more. So today we'll zoom in and we'll zoom out on these simple four words. So take a moment, look at them, enjoy them, meditate on them, because we are going to go on a ride together. Buckle in. Are you okay? Have you got your seatbelts on? I like sitting down, it's nice up here. It's easy to zoom out when you look at a scripture and zoom out to the verses before and the verses afterwards, how you find context. And then you can zoom out to the chapter, but we're actually going to skip a few steps this morning. We're not just going to look at verse 13 and the rest of verse 14. We're not just going to look at John 1 and how awesome John 1 is in contrast to the other three gospels. We're going to zoom straight out to John the author then we're going to zoom out to the Gospels and what they actually are, and then we're going to zoom out to the Bible, and then we're going to zoom all the way back in to these four verses, okay? What we're doing this morning is proving... Claudia did a great job this morning sharing that she's doing the 30-day shred. You can do the 30-day shred. I've done it in 11 days before. One clap for me. um, Because Pastor Benaiah and Pastor James are away and I had nothing to do in the office, so I just read the Bible. Uh, Impressive. Um... (laughs) when they got back, I stopped reading it, because um, so, uh, I read it. Um, but uh, you can read large portions of Scripture. I encourage you, um, if you've never read a whole book from front to back, you probably don't understand most of the verses in the book. You can get revelation from anything. You can look at that guitar and be like, yes, it is powerful. God is powerful. He's all powerful. Um, And you can find little meanings like that, but there's probably a bigger thought of a guitar and why it does and what sound is and what's going on there. So it's important to zoom in and zoom out and actually understand a little bit more than just, oh, what is the word? What is flesh? But doing all of them. So you ready? Okay, let's zoom out to who John is. John, let me write John. I'm not going to do anything on this thing just yet, but I'll just write. I'll write John so you know what's... Oh, it says John there. Okay, here we go. I'll do this then. You ready, church? This is going to be like incredible multimedia. Nailed it. Um, John. So John, his name simply means God is gracious. So the author that write the word, the word became flesh, understands the grace of God. But even in those four words themselves is God showing his grace for humanity, coming and dwelling and being a part of us. John is a disciple of Jesus. That's cool. A direct disciple of Jesus. He's one of the very few writers in the Old or New Testament that lived and walked with Jesus. Do you know how many there were? One, him. So he is writing from a perspective of deeply knowing who Jesus was. He claims to be Jesus' favourite. In a moment, I will explain to you why he is correct um, and why he's 100% Jesus' favourite disciple, and it'll all be very clear in a second. But John and his brother were both disciples of Jesus, so he even had a little crew inside of the Twelve Disciples. Um, he was known as John the Evangelist. He was known as John from Patmos. He was known as John the Elder or just the Elder. He had all these different titles and names and positions, but John ultimately was just Jesus' favorite. And if Jesus' favorite is saying something, I'm going to pay a little bit of attention to it because I said to our youth team on Friday night, John was Jesus' favorite. I am now Jesus' favorite. It's nice, hey? I'm delusional enough to believe that God loves me more than you. No, we're all equal. Yay, pat yourself on the back. Yes, okay. John didn't seem to think so. He claimed the beloved, the very favorite. Um, So John wrote five books in the New Testament. John wrote, um, he's the third biggest author in the Bible, only above Paul wrote more than him and Moses wrote more than him. But he wrote more books than anyone but Moses and, and Paul. Impressive. He wrote a lot. He was a disciple of Jesus. This just gives us an idea of who is penning these words. Now, let me explain to you why John was the favourite. John was the youngest disciple. The disciples were teenagers, ageing up to Peter, who was 21. John, when he encountered Jesus, was 13. Now, who here is the youngest in the family? You know you're the favourite. It's just the truth. The parents checked out. They gave up. And you just... And this is, this is a funny thing that the younger siblings... Um, younger siblings just like, whatever, everything is amazing and free. And, like, the older siblings don't... Well, the older siblings say this, like, I went to war for you. Do you know what I had to normalise? Do you know? how hard it was to stay up past 7pm? You just walk around and and you've got a personality. Do you know who taught you your personality? I did, the older sibling. But younger siblings um, just believe that they're the favourite. And if you're the younger sibling and that offended you, good. John was the favourite. He was the youngest. Even when Jesus sent out his disciples in groups of two, he paired John with Peter, because Peter was the oldest and John was the youngest. So the guy that is writing this story first started encountering him when he was a youth. Represent youth. So his life was 13 to 16 walking with Jesus. We'll go into a second when he actually wrote this book and therefore what that actually means, but we won't go there yet. But we're zooming out and we're seeing that the Word Became Flesh is penned by a real person that had a real encounter with Jesus. He was the youngest of these young disciples and he was the (laughs) favourite. So the Word Became Flesh is written by this man and he saw the Word in the flesh. He penned this unlike um, Matthew, Mark or Luke. Uh, Mark writing from the perspective of Peter, Luke writing as a doctor to a beloved of Jesus, like all these different Gospels are written for different purposes and different people, but John penning these words saw Jesus in the flesh. He knew Jesus, and what he wanted us to know is that truth. He didn't just boast that he saw it, He's telling us that the Word became flesh and the Scripture goes on and dwell among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only the one, full of grace and truth. We won't get to the rest of the verse. We've got no hope getting that far this morning. We'll try and do the four words, okay? So that's John. Now we zoom out further in the Gospels. The Gospels simply mean good news or the story of Christ. So the context of these verses, these simple four words, is written by a guy called John, There's four different Gospels, and their only hope and their only goal is to write and magnify Jesus, the Word that became flesh. So his goal isn't to do anything else. His goal is to tell you about Jesus and to tell you about the good news and that it interrupted our flesh and that it interrupted the problems and that it interrupted the day and that Jesus came and transformed and changed everything, that it was 100% God and 100% man. The gospel simply brings our perspective and our view back to the person of Jesus. The gospels are the center point of the Word of God. I would dare say that John 1 verse 14 is the center point of the gospels and I'll show you why in a little while. So the Gospels point us to a father through the story of Jesus. That God cared enough to send His only Son. God cared enough to become flesh through His Son, Jesus. And that is good news for us. The Gospels are a collection showing us different angles of the same story. But only John knew Jesus. So the collections and, and what was being said at the time and the legacy of Jesus and and the verbal storytelling of what he did and who he was and um, the, the three other Gospels are synoptic, they're the same, but this one is, is actually called the spiritual Gospel, John, because it takes us to a deeper level than just um, seeing points and having perspective of certain things and Luke rages about healings because his doctor view, they all see different things but John comes from a very intimate point. As this arrow says, these are The Gospels. So the word became flesh is simply saying the whole Gospel in four words. It tells us the whole story if we just look close enough. Now we zoom out again to simply the Bible. The Bible means library. Everyone say library. Library. (laughs) Does anyone ever say library and strawberry different? You say in the opposite ways? Strawberry, library, You disgust me. (laughs) So the Bible means library. So you have to understand the author... You have to understand the Gospels and that the Scripture is part of a greater library. It is the greatest work of art of all time, the canon of Scripture telling us the story of God and His creation, humanity. So we have to see it on the small level. We zoom out to the person. We zoom out to the purpose of the Gospels and then we zoom out to this amazing library of people encountering a real, living, true God and being changed forever. It is not only a love letter from God to us, but it is a relationship between both. And from beginning to end, there's different creativity and poems and history, but it is all telling one thing, God and people. His love for us and our love in return to Him. The Bible is real people experiencing a real God. It shows us the journey that we can have with God ourselves by looking at what happened to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fire and what happened to Peter as he stepped outside of the boat and what happened to David when he got his amazing skill, a slinger in the army of God and got a little rock and the slingers could hit off a hair from feet and feet and feet and yards away. He could fling a stone and hit it and when God took his skill and took down a, a weirdly giant human who's thankful in the room that they're not a giant today, that God would send a little boy to throw a stone at your head. No, okay. Um, but they are real people with a real experience and they're showing the journey that we can have with God ourselves. The Word Became Flesh is key, if not the key, of the entire library, of the whole 66 books, the whole old and the whole new, the centre point of what Jesus wanted to do and what God wanted to do, that He wanted to bring relationship back to Himself. Now, let's zoom in. Is that okay? We're going to focus for a few moments on the very simple thing of The first word, the. That we would understand that this word has amazing implications for us, that we should um, focus on it, that we should spend time meditating on the fact that um, the is just more than a catchphrase, a word just thrown around. The is actually the second most common word in the Bible. What is the most common word in the Bible? Have a guess. One, two, three. End and is the most common and end and thee together make up six point six percent of all of the words in the Bible are end and thee. Isn't that nice? Six percent. Six in every hundred are and and thee. So just sit down and meditate on the forty eight thousand times and and thee is in the Bible. Just sit there. Just meditate on the word of God. And tying things together, the bringing emphasis to the word that comes after it. We're going to focus for a for a little moment on the importance of why it is the why it is more than just a word became flesh, but the word became flesh. Because in our world today, we are surrounded by a's, a opinion, a view, a truth. But what we have in Jesus is we don't have a word became flesh a thing came and gave us another option. But we have the true and living Word of God who came to us alive. He was the center point. He was the original. He is not a copy. The Word of God. It is, if you want to know the original word in the Greek for the, it is the. (gasps) Whoa. Uh, a definite article. It brings the emphasis to the word that is coming after And we can use this word in a really um, simple um, context. If we understand the word, uh, the word the as this, if we can understand the word the inside of this simple phrase. When you hear someone say, you are the man or the woman. Um, what that means is it doesn't say, oh, you're a man, which is a weird thing to say to someone. Um, but you're the man gives emphasis to you're the best of the men. The other men are horrible. So Alex every morning wakes up and says, you are the man. And I'm like, don't say that to Jeremiah. I am the man. Um, that's my son. Um, ha, 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 ha. Um, <laughs> So in a world of A's, we have all throughout the Bible these statements of the. These important reference points of it is the beginning. In the beginning. Genesis 1, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. In the. God is a God of originality. God is a God that is completely unique. He's not attempting to copy someone or be a little bit of this and a little bit of that. He is the original he is not another word. He is the word of God. He is everything of God brought into the flesh for us today. The brings a specificness, an exclusivity. The brings a center point of everything. The center of everything else moving around, it is the word of God. Aren't you happy that God didn't just send a word again? He didn't just send another prophet he didn't just give us a another king. There wasn't just a another leader or a another person. That finally and once and for all, the word came. The word changed everything. And just as the scriptures tell us that he brings everything back to himself, in him, he holds all things and he is all things. That the came. The came. And again, Christianity does not work when it's treated as a religion it doesn't work. It is the relationship we can have with the one and true and only God. And the moment that we water it down with anything else, and we can water it down with, I think Christians water things down really easily without using a label. So for example, like we're a Christian in every area of our life, but when it comes to, I don't know, our finance, we become really atheist. Yeah? We're really passionate about God and we love God, but the moment that a bill comes in, we're like, there is no God. How will I pay this bill? I'm so stressed, I'm so worried. We don't say, hey, I'm being an atheist of my finances right now, but we forget God. We think that our finances are part of what we're doing when God tells us that if we acknowledge Him in all of our ways, He will make our path straight. So if we don't acknowledge Him in our finance, He will not make the path straight. If we don't acknowledge Him in our marriage, if we don't acknowledge Him in our Sabbath, which is our ability to stop working and trust that God's the provider, not you. That He is the provider, again, not a provider. You are a provider. I'm an I'm a provider for our family. I'm not the provider, and if anything, Alex is more the provider than I will ever be. Six years of uni, psychology, boom. You make the money, I triple it, baby. Um, Scratches for life. Um, No, I'm joking. Um, Investing, I'm wise. Don't worry, I'm really smart. Have glasses, trust me. But again, it's not a copy. It's not a parroted truth back. I know I'm emphasizing a very simple word here, but this simple word sets everything up. And if this word wasn't here or if it was something else, it would have a very different meaning. Yeah. Does every time in the um, the 28,000 times the appear, should you stop on it every time and be like, thee, I must stop on thee. Let me go deep in thee. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this method helps in this moment because this moment brings... Huge attention to the truth that this verse is trying to show us, that John, who intimately knew the word, is trying to emphasize and bring our attention to. It stands alone. It is the peak. And it shows us that a really simple truth, that it is God alone, that no one compares to him, that no one comes close to him, and he's not even trying to compete. God is such a gentleman. He won't try and compete with your fear. He'll let you keep it. If you give it to him, he'll replace it. He's not competing. He is the Word of God and it is God alone. No one compares. Nothing comes close. So this sets us up for the noun, the person, place, or the thing. And let's continue on. That is the word, Word. <gasps> Never saw that coming, did you? The Word. This is telling us who is coming. Who came? Again, it's not saying prophet, it's not saying teacher, it's not even saying saviour or messiah or friend or compassionate or friend to the sinners or healer of the sick. It is saying word and this word in the original Greek is the word logos, it is word, (laughs) it is a statement, it is a speech and a really good way of explaining it is the embodiment of an idea. And when we're saying that a word came, we're saying that any word, cafe, supermarket, filet au fish we're saying those, they're a word. When we say the word, we're saying again, the center point. The one that everything holds off. The one that was the word in the very beginning. The one that created the galaxies and the stars to the smallest little detail and created it in a way that they would, uh, God would know where it would be Infinite amount of days later, hundreds, millions, thousands, whatever you believe on the days of creation or whatever, whatever that is, they understood this part of creation. The word was so huge, yet so incredibly detailed. My kids are amazing at this. My kids will stop at a playground and look at a bolt and be like, A bolt. At the moment, I'm trying to do it. I have a string in my office that I just look at. I'm like, This is a nice string. What a beautiful string. The, the highest amount of things and the lowest amount of things that God is saying a statement. He is embodying an idea. The Greek usage of this word simply means a word, a speech, a divine utterance. The word here is the center point of everything. The word is showing us that something was somewhere and then became a part of here but God is much, much more than 33 years of Jesus. But the 33 years of Jesus shows us the complete image of an invisible God. That the Word of God became flesh. So it's an expression of a thought. It is a record. It was written and now it is read. If you can understand Jesus as reading the truth of what humans are called to be. This is what I want for you. I want relationship with you, God's God's saying. Jesus is that read out loud. This is what it looks like. If there was any doubt before and a ritual and a thing you had to go through, this is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. This is the Word of God. This is my thought. I want to know you. I want to know you every single day. I want to know you on your highs and your lows. The Word became flesh. And the Word that we're talking about is infinitely huge. And what happens here is when the Word is established, the mysticalness of God dissipates. It no longer becomes about following a mystery and a smoke that would appear or a fire that would appear and come and go. What happens when the Word became flesh is definition came and a face came to an invisible God. And what happens here is the mysticalness disappears and we have a person that we can know and walk with, that can restore us to the Father that knows us and loves us and wants to know us. So what the word here is, it's not mystical. It is not undefined. It is not confusing. There is, no, is not a wonder. It is not unseen. It is witness. It is understood. It is seen. It is defined. It starts and it finishes. There's a start and there's a finish. This is what the Word is and it came. But what happens is when it comes to knowing God, there is, He is the Alpha and the Omega, which means He's the beginning and the end. Okay? Beginning, end. But what happens if you know anything about God is there may be a beginning and an end to what He's doing in a day or a week or a month or a year or in who he is. Nothing is outside of him, but there is an infinite amount of depth when it comes to God. The most people spend all of their time in the baby pool splashing each other around like, oh, I was offended at church today. Okay, baby, enjoy your pool. Someone was mean to me today. okay, it was about you right now. You're in a baby pool. You're acting like young Ellie who gets on the side of the pool and screams, help me, help me, when she's drowning. Um, That's you the baby level, but there is an infinite depth when it comes to knowing God, when it comes to bringing heaven to earth, when it comes to knowing what forgiveness is in your body, yeah. to knowing what it is to let go and be free. I think there's nothing, I, I, for me as a young 30-year-old, I've never experienced heaven more than in moments that I've forgiven someone that doesn't deserve it. When I've just let go and no one holds me and I give it all to God and He was enough and it didn't matter what they said or what they did, that is infinite depths of what God wants to do and what the Word is. So He may be the Alpha and the Omega, there may be a beginning and an end to what He is and nothing is outside of Him, but there is an infinite depth that came in the body of Jesus. And we're going to get into why that matters in a second. So the Word, Word simply shows us here that God spoke, that He did not stay silent, that He spoke. He spoke through the prophets of old. He spoke through Moses and Genesis. He spoke through books of poetry, but Jesus is the word. He's not a word. He's not saying something. This is the definition of God's thought. This is it. Is Jesus enough? Yes, it's only Jesus. There's nothing we add to it. There's no good amount of deeds or do I serve enough or not enough in church? Am I splashing around in the baby pool right? It's just Jesus. Jesus. It's just Jesus, and if that bores you, unfortunately, you've chosen the wrong religion because this is pursuing an infinite good person, and his name is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life back to the Father. So this sets us up. This sets us up to move on deeper into this Scripture. The Word shows us the hugeness of God, and in case... We had any doubt of who the word was. We move on to the next word, or where he came from. And the next word is became. Became is a, guess what it is? It's not a noun, it's a verb. It's a doing word. Is it? Is that what a verb is? Yes. The Greek word um, for became is pronounced this way. Gin om ahi. That was very Japanese, um, but it's, it's what I got. Gin um, om ahi. Um, it means to come into being. It means to happen. It means to become. It is a verb. It is a doing word. It is the word did something. The word did not just be and exist. The word did something. And what the word did changed the game. It didn't change what the word was, but it changed everything for us. What he became was flesh, but let's focus in on this word, became. Uh, the Greek usage of this word is, I come into being. It means to be born, to become, to come about, or to happen. When I think about this word, became, I split it, um, maybe you do, maybe you don't, into the two, like, clear parts, right? Be, came. You see that? Yeah. Who is "B"? Be. And where did he come? Where did he appear? And what happens here, if we separate this word for this purpose in what John is trying to do, we see something very, very deep. And what happens, if you can go back to Exodus 3, we have this experience of Moses, who was a a buffoon when it came to his ability to speak. And he was afraid of being sent back into Egypt after he pretty much forgot how to speak. He was away from people for so long. And God is sending him back in to free his people from slavery. He's got a mission for him. And Moses says, who should I say has sent me? And I, I did a program at school called Mars or STARS. This is for people that can't comprehend any English words. So I'm very smart when it comes to math, but it wasn't until the actual Bible that I could pretty much comprehend any English. I ask Alex all the time, what is that word? I'm a very smart 30-year-old. But when it comes to money, boom, 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 triple, 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 (laughs) boom, boom, boom. look at this, ooh, expensive, Um, oh, coffee stain. And what he says to Moses, God says a very simple thing in Exodus 3. It shows us the story of God and Moses telling his people to free. And when Moses asked God, What should he tell everyone who sent him? He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what I say to the Israelites. I am, uh, this is what you should say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, okay, I did these programs at school, and if I was already struggling with words, and the person trying to explain to them to me is like, Okay go and tell them I am said, I am, I am is coming to be I am. Now, inside of our context right now, super confusing, right? Who I am, I am sent you what? If that happened today and God's like, go tell them I am is I am and I am, I am and you keep on saying I am over again, people would be like, what are you saying? Can you please send me to a different connect leader that can explain what's happening right now? Like you go to the next step and they say, the step is the step and we are the step. And you're like, what? Um, no, I just want to help in the cafe. Um, but inside of the context here, if we go back to the original Hebrew word, because we're talking the Old Testament, it is better defined as I be than I am. And I am speaks of the existence of something, but I be exists, uh, speaks of the existence and its impact to those around So it's bad, it's even worse English than I am to say, God said, I be sent you. But when we come now to John 1 verse 14 and we see be, we can tie it back to the God that was there on the very first day. The God that was there that commissioned Moses to go and free four million Jews from slavery and enter the promised land, a lot of them died off. That is the God that came to earth. That is the God that wants to know you every day. Again, he is not a little cross on your wrist. He is much, much bigger than that. He's not just a God that you can call on and he'll pay your optus bill. Praise the Lord. He's not just a God that lines you up with a good relationship because, man, you've been dating them wrong boys and you need the right one. And then Jesus, take the wheel, and he took the wheel. Um, Carrie Underwood is the greatest worship leader of our generation. She wrote the song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. Oh, there we go. That was good for the American. Um, So the God that was there from the very beginning—not a not a copy, not just a son that was like the Father, like Jeremiah is kinda like me—but one that is absolutely the I am, who is absolutely the I be, the one that absolutely holds everything together by his word, that speaks and galaxies are created, that speaks and he stills the storm in your life, that speaks and heals and frees and saves, the one that when he says something, it comes to pass. Nothing returns to Him void. That one, that is who Jesus is. He is not just a man. He is not just a little bit of God. He is 100% God and 100% man. And we'll talk in a second how much different that is than 50% God and 50% man. Because we think we're 50% of each. We're 50% heaven, we're 50% flesh. That's what we think. So often, I want to do the right thing, but I don't want my flesh to do it. God became flesh. So there must be something in it. Hmm? Sorry, we're just warming up, but we'll get there. You okay? You still coming on the ride? Great. By the way, this can happen with any verse. Yeah. You could do this for like a month with Jesus wept. The smallest verse in the Bible is so much more dense than this. Yeah. The word wept, that God wept, and what he wept about, something that he already knew was going to... Lazarus dying, and he wept about that. He already knew that he was going to... Isn't he got like deep, deep, bro, <laughs> deep, meditate on, like, everyone used to say that, like, preach on a scripture, you uh-huh. used to preach on Jesus wept, I'm like, okay, like, that is so dense, man, no one, like, Hindus aren't being like, God weeps, but Jesus wept over a friend dying, he's, he's not just a God out there, he is very much a human, very much 100% man, and his connection to it is mind-blowing, but we're not going into Jesus wept, everyone, relax, So, the Hebrew definition of that word be is simply to become. It is the same word that we're seeing here in John 1, verse 14. It would be better to say I be than I am. Became shows us that the God of the universe came to a very specific moment. That he is, um, the the term is omnitemporal. It is that God is not just in all of time, that he is not just knowing all of things. That he is temporal, he is in every moment, everywhere, at every time. Through all of history and in every single place, be came. He is omnitemporal, which means every single second of the day, he is absolutely there for you. Now get this, he is no more there for you when you're at the hospital praying for a miracle than he is a second that you're asleep. He's completely there, completely accessible all of the time. And he is the same I am and he's the same I be. We think we can summon him. I need a little bit more God right now. You've got all of it. He came. He is here. He connected with our flesh. We know him and we can walk with him. We do not need any more of the beginning of end. We just need to dive down in the infinite knowledge of who he is. Isn't that an amazing thought that he's omnitemporal? Every second. I know we can believe that. Oh, yeah, God is everywhere and in every. No, He is completely present there. Do you know someone that's, a, that's present? Maybe you had a parent or a teacher or a leader that was never present. They're all like, You ever met someone and they're talking to you, but they're looking over your shoulder to see if there's someone better to talk to? Like, pastors do this all the time. Like, at conferences, you have to be like, Are you talking to me still? Um, and you move your head and you get it back, and it's, it's hilarious. But God is not like that. He's not looking over your shoulder. And he's not looking over your shoulder in any moment, in any situation. His gaze is completely fixed. He's omnitemporal. He is right here. He is looking at you. He has not forsaken you. He never will forsake you. And he came here. And again, he's not just a friend that can give you advice. B, the great I am, the great, the great God, the infinite God. He is the one fixed on your eyes, fixed on your every moment. That's what he made a way for. He made for relationship. And relationship isn't just, you've never failed me yet, God, which is the weirdest like, lyric in the world. Like a relationship's goal is never to have failure. Failure is like the best thing. God never fails. But as he fa- No, we do not go how, how deep we can go in those words. But B came. The same God who handed Moses a mission to free the people. The same God that handed the Ten Commandments. The same God who walked in the garden. The same God who told Noah to build a boat. The same God... That raised up kings and prophets and nations and won battles, the God that was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God on the mountaintop, the God in the tent, the God in the sky, the God that we can never run from, that he is always there. It's the same God. A hundred percent, it is the same God. Can we go a little bit deeper? So we're talking about John. So John, you could call the gospel of John the I am gospel. Because what happens is this. If we go to the next slide, these are the references in John The 7, I think it's eight actually, references. He says, and again we're talking about this coming, I am the bread of life, or I be the bread of life, you understand what I'm saying? I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine and you are the branches. This is showing us who the great I am is. That He is relevant to our growth. That He is relevant for our direction. He is relevant for our strength. He is relevant for sheep's finding a shepherd. He is relevant from going from one room to a next, coming from earth into the presence of God. That He is relevant in the darkness. That He is relevant for our sustenance. He is everything we need. And He came here because yeah. He cares about you and I so much that the Word became... And to top it all off, in John 8, verse 58, Jesus, through John, makes a statement. And he just says, so there's no question, there's no um, shadow of a doubt, he says this. It <laughs> makes it very clear. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. He just makes it very clear. The very God from the very beginning, that is me. And then the following verse, uh, John 8, verse 59. Uh, Actually, I think I wrote it down here. Um, (laughs) It says, uh, Then they picked up stones to stone him to death. Funny, right? I am before Abraham. Okay, let's kill him now. And then this verse gets even weirder. And then it says, Jesus hid himself from them and then vanished from the temple. Removed himself from the temple, and we could go into the details of that building and what it. Did Jesus have an invisible cloak for a second? How did he hide himself? And we go into that, but we won't right now because too much for us to handle in this moment. And we're only up to the third word. The fourth word's the best. This word "became" does not mean that he did not exist and then he became something. It's not like um, I became a father. I once wasn't a father and now I am a father. It is a transition. It is one absolute thing was expressed in another absolute thing. It was 100% God was seen in 100% of this man, Jesus Christ. Whew, became showed us this simple truth that all of God is here in Jesus. All of God, every attribute of God, every moment of the Old Testament is in this person called Jesus. He didn't send a cooler God to replace another God. It is the same God, a God of love and a God of holiness. Okay, now up to word number four. Okay, we going good? Yes. I wish I had more ice blocks for you, but I'll just drink from this. Still hot. Uh, I love it. Ready for word number four? It is. Drum roll. Flash. Wow, you got it, guys. Amazing. You remember? Um, let's make this one like real aggressive, hey? Like, yeah. Flash. Flash. Yeah, how you do like how you do posters and it doesn't fit in. I'll do it this way. You all know what I'm talking about. The word flesh here, um, its usage means flesh, body, human nature, or material. The word flesh isn't always used as an evil term in Scripture like our sinful human nature. It is used here to describe the sinfulness of the body of Jesus. The sinfulness of the body of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And therefore, it goes further to actually describe the flesh of the body of Christ, which is the body of Jesus, which is us, which in Christ, this flesh can experience 100% of God. Galatians 2 verse 20 um, says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The flesh here is simply speaking of the natural. It's speaking of human nature. It's speaking of a living body. It's speaking of something that was born and something that died. Flesh is born and flesh dies. Spirit, not flesh does. Bodies die. Natural, die, yeah? It's not supernatural. It dies. It decays. So there has a beginning and an end and what we're seeing here is all of God was put into a man for 33 years. The the only word that matters came in all of his power from the highest point came down to be like you and i and what this word flesh means has been said before that when jesus became flesh it's like he put skin on i've taught that before but it's actually wrong it's more than just a mask Jesus came and slipped skin on and was like, I am a human like you, but I was a robot. And then he, like an alien movie, he takes it off and he is Jesus. Um, and we think of things like um, transfiguration and all those things, and we think that God is wearing a mask when that's not the truth of that scripture at all. Um, so what happens here is we see that God became flesh. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. And the truth is they are not at war with each other. Because he can't be 100% God and 100% flesh if they're fighting. Sinful nature fights, but the flesh that is sinless, that is a creation of God through Christ Jesus, is 100% okay to exist with the presence of God. That Jesus wept. That that emotion is not an enemy with, did he believe that Nazareth was? No, it coexisted. That is huge. It is so big that in every single moment, Jesus was 100% connected to your human experience. That when his friend died, he was moved. That when his parents were upset about where he was, he was sassy. I was in my father's house. Get in the car. 100% connected to the human experience. 100% mindful of relationships and mentorship and discipling other people and making impact that exists beyond your life. 100% aware that he had a mission of something to do, that he was not just in existence, that he became flesh. And that gives me hope, bro. The Word became flesh and now in my flesh I can experience the one and true God that every single day in my humanity and in my submission to knowing more of Jesus, I can experience all of Him. Oh, the Word became flesh, baby. But it's more than just putting skin on. It is a real person It is blood and bones. And the best definition inside of the usage of this scripture, inside of the Greek, is it is deeper than the skin. It is a flesh wound. And you hear in like movies and stuff, oh, don't worry, it's only a flesh wound. A flesh wound is simply a wound that has not affected bones or internal organs. In other words, a flesh wound can like cut a muscle in half. It can chop through your fat. A flesh wound is deeper than the skin. So what's happening here is oh, well, that's a nice softer, huh? <laughs> um, what's happening here is the Word of God became under the surface. In other words, He did not view your humanity from the outside anymore. He viewed it from under the surface. and we get into bones and the organs into the crucifixion, and Jesus' actually understanding those things anyway. But this context of flesh, he became fat and muscle. He understands you completely. There's no new issue with the next generation and social media and Snapchat and TikTok and predators and what's happening. Um, No. Facebook is no more evil than the Pharisees that wanted to stone him. He became flesh. And yes, he became it in the first century, but it's the same human experience that's just expressed in new cool technological ways. But it's the same issue. People are like, I hate Facebook. It's the worst of humanity. Yeah, it's people. Of course it's horrible food that no one likes. Of course it's moody emotions at 1am. I can't sleep. Oh, it happens to me. It's because it's people. Facebook is a 100% reflection of mankind. If you don't like Facebook, you don't like people. You're you're tired of their pain and their excuses and their issues. Because me, 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 what about mine? I put mine on, look at mine. Facebook is just people, bro. If you have to like withdraw from Facebook because it's exhausting you. You need to think about how you view people and your kindness and your compassion towards them. Whew. I love Facebook, baby. It's my favorite thing to do. Not really. Prayer, my wife. Netflix, they're all above that. It's deeper than the skin. He's 100% God and 100% man. He understands both of them and they coexist. So we've zoomed in. we zoomed out to John the gospel, and the Bible, and now we've zoomed into the word became flesh. Alicia, can you jump up on keys as we zoom out to finish this off? Because we are so far zoomed in that we'll never be able to walk out of this place without thinking about every step and fingerprint we leave anywhere and every possible detail. Let's zoom back out because we haven't actually understood everything about John yet, and we haven't understood everything about the gospel yet or the Bible. So let me give you simple ones as we zoom back out as we close this morning. John, John wrote five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. And we often think that it worked that way. He wrote John, he wrote First, Second, Third, and then he wrote the book of Revelations. But in reality, they're flipped. John actually wrote Revelations in about 65 AD. He wrote Revelations 20 years before the first section of the Gospel of John was even penned. So he experienced this man, Jesus, from 13 to 16, and then he had these encounters, and at, 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 I don't know, roughly at 60, 70, he wrote Revelations. Then at 80, 90, he wrote the Gospel. And this tells us something really significant now, because if John wrote Revelations before he wrote the Gospel, Revelations isn't the end, Jesus is the end. The Gospel is everything. If Revelations was written first, but John returned at the ripe age of, I don't know, 95 to reminisce on his teenage years and write the greatest gospel we've got. If you think another one's cool as well, that's fine. I don't mind. The greatest gospel I've got for me right now He wrote back, he went back, and he spoke of this great I Am, that he's not just a God in the Revelations with a sword coming in his mouth and chariots and this. No, he is the God that cared about Lazarus. He is the God that became flesh. He is the God because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that none would perish and all would have everlasting life. From this moment to the very end of time, the Word became flesh, which tells me that your encounters with God that don't bring you back to looking at the face of Jesus aren't biblical, It's not about having a weirder encounter with God. It's about coming back to the amazing person that is the great I am in the flippin' flesh. That gets it all, baby. You don't need to add to him. You don't need to have a picture of Jesus with a mullet because he's cool and relevant to 2020 and he would have a mullet now because Jesus is relevant. You don't need a new picture. We have the picture. John shows us that after every encounter, we return to relationship with Jesus Christ, the one and truly only firstborn son of God. 74 years later, after walking with him as a teenager, he pens the story of Jesus Christ, the good news. The good news is not revelations. The good news is that Jesus came and that we have a way forward. The Word became flesh and changed everything forever. It brings the focus of every God encounter to knowing Jesus Christ. That is what John shows us. We zoom out again to the Gospel, and the Gospel shows us the good news that we must tell. Is our life a Gospel? Is it a narration of what Jesus has done and is doing? Is it screaming, the Word became flesh? You're hurting and you're in pain. Guess what? The Word already became flesh and overcame the flesh. So now I can bring truth to you, and it's not contradictory. He met you at that. He met the pain. He met the suffering. He met the sickness. He is there. He is right there with you, and He can encounter and move you beyond that. Is your life a gospel? Is it screaming Jesus? is, Is it the good news? Is it the story of Jesus? Are you telling it very loudly and very clearly that God is not withdrawn from the flesh, that he came and understands it and he came to overcome any opposition to it? And lastly, we zoom out to the Bible. From the smallest detail to the largest brushstroke, it is about God and his creation being connected. I wrote this definition for the Bible a few um, weeks ago because I... I like to write definitions so that I can understand in a different way something that the Bible means library, I get that, yep. But this is the definition that I'm working on at the moment when it comes to the Bible, I'm pretty sure it's on screen, It is the creativity, which is the thoughts and the intentions and the planning of God, the acts, which is what he does, and the nature of a holy, which means he's completely separate, far above, he's I am, he's co- he, he can exist completely by himself, but he's also loving God and his creation, and now I can go through every part of the Bible and I can see, okay, this is God's creativity. Why did he get him to pour water on the sacrifice while everyone else was terrified that the fire wouldn't, wasn't even going to hit? Man, that's an idea. <laughs> that's stacking the odds against that and against, why do you use the little boy to defeat Goliath? That's creative. There's a planning God that he is for the underdog again and again and again. And Jesus was born a little baby in a manger, that he is just this creative God that takes the weak things and makes strong things out of them. His actions show that. His nature, his scripture shows us his nature of that, that he is holy, that he is a part taking us to somewhere, but he is loving enough to move us there. So, as we finish... The Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus was the great I am. He is the great I am, and he is the great I be. Jesus came. He didn't just start here. He brought something here for us to keep on carrying. Jesus was flesh like you, like I. There is hope for our flesh. The Word became flesh. There must be something amazing about our flesh if Jesus became it. There must be something in it. There must be something more than fighting it. There must be something amazing that God is in awe of when we worship in contrast to when the angels worship. When we worship from our flesh, when we worship from our pain and our, and our problems, and our issues and our stress and our not seeing the whole picture, there's something powerful about being 100% flesh and 100% seeking God. There is beauty in his creation, not just a sunrise, not just a pretty butterfly, but you and I that we are that center point of the things that he made. God didn't come and be a butterfly. He didn't come and rest in a rainbow. You and I. I guess what I'm trying to say is this is how you let the word of God revive you. To bring life to every part of your spirit, your body, your mind, and your strength. This is how you stop And meditate and give room to be revived by the powerful word of God. That is simply four verses that sum up a gospel that sum up the mission, but every single word, every single verse is powerful and effective and sharp and able. So let's be a church that lives from the foundation of the word of God because now that I know that the word became flesh, it changes how I wander around. Let me pray for us as we finish. God, we thank you that you came, that you get it, Do you understand exactly where we're at. We don't need to be mopey to try and convince you to understand our suffering. You get our suffering. You get our dark moments. You get the temptations of the flesh. You get what it was tempted tempted by the devil himself. You get it, God. So I pray as a church that we come before you honestly and in a real way, but in a real way that acknowledges that you became flesh, and that changed what we could do and could be. It changed our identity. We became a new creation. We became in you, Jesus, spotless, forgiven. You were the way. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life, and we're taking you at that. You're not an option. You are our only thing. So I pray, God, as we go about our week this week, I pray that the word of God would captivate us, that we would meditate on it more than we meditate on the words of a co-worker that said something and it was mean and it hurt us and we thought about it for the next 10 years. But we would meditate on the truth of your word so it would revive every part of our body. And we thank you that every word doesn't return to you void. I commission our church this week to go out and be the gospel the good news of Jesus, to speak of you and your mighty acts of what you do and are continuing to do. We love you. We thank you for you. May the word continue to become flesh in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 We're done, church. Have a fantastic day. Stick around. Go to the beach. Look at our lovely green grass that's flourishing. And we'll see you next week as Pastor Beniah brings the word. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.